Welcome to the Tuesday Morning Blitz. It is I, Jackson Roberts. It is he, Kale Clinton, coming to you behind schedule for an NFL Week 17 late recap slash Week 18 preview uh, for obvious reasons, which we'll get into in just a second. But Kale, how you doing, bud? Doing well. Doing well. Doesn't feel like there's one week of... uh... One week of regular season football left. A lot of teams going home after this, and it feels bittersweet. It really does. TMB will be changing a lot in the next few weeks without our usual fodder, our commanders, our Texans, our Bears to make fun of. It will just be, for the most part, serious NFL franchises. Uh, obviously, we didn't release an episode on Tuesday this week. We had planned to record after the Monday night football game, which we were very excited about because normally we don't do that, but this was one of the best games of the year. So we thought, decided to wait. Obviously, we saw the horrific injury that took place to Bill Safety to Mar Hamlin during Monday night football and decided that at the time, given the uncertainty of his status, it just didn't make sense to record an episode. Hamlin appears to be doing better now. Uh, still considered in critical condition, still without the use of speech, but has regained consciousness, has use of his hands and feet, and is able to communicate via writing, all of which are very positive signs. We will link Damar Hamlin's GoFundMe in the description to this episode. Uh, But other than that, we are just continuing to hope for a speedy recovery. And, you know, NFL moves on, so so are we. We get to talking about week 18 here pretty soon. Yeah, there's not much more to be said that hasn't been said already. Uh, ESPN handled the coverage greatly night of. Uh, the outpour of support from uh, not only just around the league, but kind of around the nation, uh, sports and beyond, has been really impressive. Uh, it's, I don't know, the news today was, uh, you know, nice. It's it's a, It's an incredible story to see. Uh, like you know, just community support and everything coming together. Uh, I'm I'm so happy to hear the reports of his recovery and the fact that first thing he asks who won the game is uh, you know, I don't know. It's it's crazy to Would see. Would have been wild to be in that moment. I know, but up. like, just how much bigger, like how much you know, how trivialized the game got, and how much bigger the response has been. Uh, it's it's you know very heartening to see. It's nice. It, someone like, had nice. to someone had to also explain to him that he now has seven more million dollars instead of the original two thousand uh, for his toy drive this year. I imagine that was a heartwarming thought to to <laughs> regain consciousness too. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's the guys it, obviously with the injury, but like someone pointed this out, the guy's life has changed for the better, and he doesn't even really know it like him being able to figure out in the coming days just how much support like that's going to be nice to see on the other side yeah and again we still are hoping for a full recovery whatever Demar Hamlin wants that to be if he wants to come back to football um you know certainly hoping that he fully regains the use of everything and we are continuing to send our well wishes uh but Kale week 17 happened 
and we didn't sure get to did. do any of our usual business. So we're not going to go through our whole, you know, top of the show reactions, uh, act as if these games just happened because they didn't. Uh, but before we get to week 18, which certainly is quite an exciting uh, proposition, we've got to do some game balls, got to do some uniforms, and we've just got to update the record log uh, because there are people that keep these things and the world wants to know. That they do, Jackson. <laughs> Listen, we could let you know time go by, whatever. We don't need to do the latest breakdown of a of a Lions loss or Jaguars win or whatever we would normally talk about, a wacky AFC playoff race. But people got to know what we think about those dang uniform matchups. Yeah, I, I mean, we're going to get to those quite soon. Uh, but before we do, we'll do something else that people consider very important, and that's hand out game balls. And, Kale, I think there's no better place to start. I mean, you'll get a very easy one as well in a moment here, but got to hand one to Danny Dimes, and not just for this game, because he didn't, you know, fully finish the game. It was 19-24, 177, two passing touchdowns. The rushing stats, as usual, are great as well. 11 carries, 91 yards, two more touchdowns. But just the fact that he had this entire season going from a quarterback who not many thought would be around much longer to now a top 10 in QBR. Uh, He's got New York Giants loyalists like Max Kellerman calling him a top five quarterback on ESPN. Uh, Everything is breaking Danny Dimes' way. And you've got to give him a lot of credit for the year he's had. And certainly this game, getting his team into the playoffs with a week to spare. Nobody thought they'd be there. Uh, That deserves a lot of praise. Yeah, he is getting a multi-year contract, Jackson. Uh, Maybe only two, but it will be multi. It'll be more than one. Uh, they're going to keep him around, and which, which feels like such a turnaround. Jackson, I I know it always comes back to the same few teams with us, but this is what it feels like if like the Jets gave Darnold a chance, like like holding Ooh. on to your guys for like just to see what they look like in a new system. What Brian Dable has done to bring in, like, n- like not only understand like the injuries that he's been dealing with and things like that, uh, you know, just from skill position players. But getting this out of Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones, especially Jones, when he's throwing to, you know, I, I keep bringing up the same names, Isaiah Hodgins and Richie James are like two prominent guys on this roster and were day three picks, like really struggling to find work a year ago, like last summer. It's really impressive what he's done. And I love this version of Daniel Jones. I It's why he was a first-round pick. It was the reason he got so much praise coming into the league. Like, I'm glad three years removed and at least two uh, head coaches uh, passed. I think three offensive coordinators passed. But I'm glad we're finally getting to see this version of Daniel Jones. Hats off to him and, you know, a very good season. Agreed. And wild that you bring up Sam Darnold because Sam Darnold currently has a 41.5% passing DVOA, Kale. Nuts. Would be number one if he qualified by a very wide margin. And do you know who actually is number one? Tell me who, Jackson. Jimmy Garoppolo. What a season for quarterback play in the NFL. DVOA standing on its head to make the great quarterbacks look great. 
Can we take an aside, Jackson? <laughs> I, 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 we need to talk about this. I'm sorry, but we're going to look back on this season of quarterback play. So confused. I mean, Jackson, we're seeing stuff out of backup quarterback. Jackson, in a loss, I almost gave Jarrett Stidham a game ball. <laughs> we're going like 340 and three touchdowns, two interceptions, but like a 60-something percent completion rating. Uh, we're getting like career games out of, uh, you know, replacement-level guys constantly. Uh, just players look better than ever. It looks like there's – 40 viable quarterbacks in football. It's nuts. I don't understand it. Like, did a whole research thing on quarterbacks in the last 15 years. And while quarterback play is, like, down across the board, we've never seen this much competent quarterback play out of lesser guys. It is a crazy anomaly of a year. Yeah. Just all the stats are down, too, like all the counting stats. Only two guys or th- only three guys over 30 passing touchdowns. That used to be like a layup of a number. Teams are running the ball more. Teams are running the ball more down in the red zone. Passing yardage is down for pretty much everyone, not named Pat Mahomes. Uh, QBRs are historically low compared to where they were at the past five years or so. Uh, so these are things where, like, whereas DVOA uh, more so levels the playing field of the league across any given year. So it's hard to compare that. All these numbers that indicate just like raw statistics are saying the quarterback plays way down this year. But like mistakes are down too. Like I the league leader in interceptions is this Derek is Carr, like 14. Yeah. Like and we're, Dak we're, Prescott in 10 games or whatever it's been. Yeah. And we're like three years to two or three years removed from Jameis throwing 30 interceptions in a season. Like we're not that far removed from like super like volume-driven, mistake-prone football. It's, it's you know, it's not as exciting, but, like, I'm glad it's better, right? Oh, absolutely. You leave out one more guy who's tied for that league-leading interceptions, Kale. Uh, prominent MVP candidate, Kirk Cousins, also with 14. <laughs> having himself a year. I'm going to lose an overbet on Kirk Cousins as well. Uh, touchdowns. I think he needs four this week to cash his over, and I thought that was a slam dunk at the start of the season. Not gonna Nate, Peter, Nate Peterman Bears, maybe. I mean, they're uh, still we'll playing see. for a one seed. They'll like to run up the score. We will see. How about your offensive game ball, Kale? Can you think of anyone who might be noteworthy from last week? <sighs> yeah, I've got a guy. Name is Mike Evans. Oh, uh, absolute, <laughs> absolute milk carton in terms of Mike Evans missing from the end zone. Been a long while. But you know what? After a, I didn't realize it was this long. A, oh yeah, is that no? Is that a ten or eleven game streak and no touchdowns? Well, you're the one looking at the page. <laughs> from week five, sorry, from week five to week sixteen, zero touchdowns. Well done. In week seventeen, he doubled his touchdown number on the year. Went from three <laughs> touchdowns to six, three touchdown game. 10 receptions, 207 yards. Uh, not only is Mike Evans back, like he made Tom Brady look back. One of those touchdowns comes on a – it's a 65-yard total play. Uh, but Brady throws it from his own 30 and hits Evans in stride, tight window, 
somewhere like between the 20 and the 25. So it's, you know, between 45 and 50 air yards. Uh, Jackson, Tampa Bay, excuse me, Tampa Bay is getting frightening, uh, getting uh, Donovan Smith, Carlton Davis, Vita Vea back. Mike Evans looks like him, his former self. Chris Godwin's a little shaky. He's still fumbling the ball, but like they're getting protection back. They're looking more confident. This is uh, like that video of like De La Salle school, like that high school where it's like, I think I got my swagger back. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, Bucks getting the four seed. They get one home field advantage game, hosting a wild card game against a good Cowboys team, likely. This is going to be. Like they're gonna be a threat. They're gonna they have the chance to eliminate one of the biggest threats in the playoffs with either the Eagles or the Cowboys, depending on how this week ends up, and then can cruise the rest of the way. Like I am getting a little nervous about a sub five hundred Buccaneers team. Yeah, I, I said it uh, earlier in the week. I don't think they can win the NFC, but I certainly think they can win that first game, and I would not enjoy being the opponent in that first game after all the madness that I've seen from them all season long. They are starting to get healthy. The receiving core seems to be rounding into form. Brady seems to be taking more risks. He's quarterback sneaking. He's standing in the pocket longer, and the game is going to be in Tampa. So after all that, they managed to put themselves in a position where I'm not, again, I don't think they're a threat to win the entire conference. I think they'll stumble somewhere along the way, but I wouldn't want to play them. And that is credit to, of course, the man, Mike Evans and the rest of that Tampa Bay offense. 40.3 half point PPR fantasy points, by the way. Jeez. If you made it to the championship with Mike Evans, congratulations. If you had Mike Evans, it is unlikely that you made it to the championship game. But if you had if you somehow got there, congratulations on winning your fantasy league. Well that is a that's a piece to have. If you're willing to stash or something or if you could build around it, uh what a piece to break out on championship weekend. Yeah. Mike Evans and Cam Akers, the two uh non existent milk carton guys all season who just showed up in a huge way at the end for your fantasy teams. Better late than never. Better late than never. Defense uh Two really, really easy game balls this week on the defensive side. I'll go first. It is Brown safety Grant Delpit. Grant Delpit, I think, and, and this is kind of the case with a few safeties, corners, whatever, across the league. There's teams that defensively are not super exciting, but boy, oh boy, do they have one or two guys who can really make a difference in the secondary. Grant Delpit coming into last week was third in the total points saved metric of uh, Sports Info Solutions, which is one of my favorites because it allows us to quantify players at positions aside from quarterback, receiver, running back, et cetera. Uh, and he was third at the time. And after a two-interception week against the great Carson Wentz, uh, Grant Delpit is now first among all safeties in total points saved. So looking like an all-pro at the position, I actually – Thought about sending an email out this week when uh, Aaron Schatz, Football Outsiders, was asking for all pro nominees at the safety position. I said Buda Baker, uh, and I also was considering saying Delpit at the time after his first interception in this game. I did send the email saying, apropos of his interception, maybe Grant Delpit should get the nod. And then he got another, and I didn't even need to send another email because I just knew I was right. Grant Delpit, congratulations. <sighs> They're, 
you look at this. You look at this Cleveland day, and you think, take a good long look. You just think, like, what, what could have been for this Browns team uh, if they didn't guarantee two hundred thirty million dollars to a sex pe- uh, sex bus? Uh, like Jacoby Brissett was playing awesome. Uh, I'm also just shocked, genuinely, that like Cleveland's D is is like kind of lackluster as it is. Like it, it could not stop the run once all year. It was it should be way better, and especially like I know it's like their line, like their edge rushers are awesome, their secondary is awesome, and they're kind of you know a black hole in the middle of the uh, you know in that second level, mostly because of, you know, injuries to Taki Taki, JOK, uh, JOK especially was a monster from last year, Jacob Phillips as well, uh, or like Jacob Phillips also was not also a monster last year. Uh, it's, it's a tough position to be in, but like, man, this D should have been so much better. Yeah. I mean, 22nd overall in defensive DVOA and 29th against the run. I mean, they just got gashed all season long. And that is not what you want to see. That is not how you get the job done. And also they had uh, the 26 highest variant. So some weeks they did show up and they played good defense. And I think it usually hinged on like, was Miles Garrett dominant that day? Because if he was, a lot of things just fell into place. Some games he just didn't show up and they just got gashed from start to finish. Jackson, speaking of teams who have mystified me, uh, coming <laughs> toward the end of the uh, regular season. Uh, my defensive game ball is going to Cam Jordan. Uh, Cam Jordan, a wrecking ball uh, against a really banged up Eagles offensive line. Uh, I say really banged up. I think they're really only missing Lane Johnson. Uh, but three sacks on the day in a upset win of the one seed, putting that one seed in jeopardy. Uh, I mean... Jordan on like Jordan on the zone, uh, really, really strong. Absolutely plowed through Jordan Mailata and Jack Driscoll. Uh, put Mailata in a blender on one of those sacks. It was really impressive to see. Uh, first off, uh, before I get to the Saints, this Eagles team, like we were talking about the Bucks getting healthy. This team, this Eagles team needs to get the week one by because it needs to get healthy. Uh, they just activated Robert Quinn and CJ Gardner Johnson off of the IR. Avante Maddox didn't play in the last game. Uh, Jalen Hurts has a dislocated shoulder. The aforementioned Lane Johnson uh, has a torn adductor uh, and mm-hmm. is going to try and play in the playoffs. If you can buy that guy one extra week off, it's going to matter so much more uh, because he's putting off surgery to do it. Uh, they really need it. That being said, Jackson, what happened to the New Orleans Saints this year? Like, this is a good defense. Mm-hmm. It is a young offense. The offensive line, despite losing Toronto Armstead, like you're putting a lot on Cesar Ruiz's uh, shoulders uh, and you're putting a lot on, like, a young guy in Trevor Penning who wasn't even able to like hold on to a starting role this year. Like the offensive line's okay. I get they had quarterback issues early, but like they've all the like in a down down year for the NFC South. 
how did New Orleans not jump on the opportunity to take over this division? Yeah, it's it's a mystifying question. It really is. Uh, I think you you put a lot of the blame on the shoulders one of the uh, of the passing game, but also the running game. They were twenty third in rushing, and I think it shows once again that Alvin Kamara needs a buddy. He's he's not a one man backfield. Not a one man backfield. He's always been at his best when there was a Mark Ingram or a Latavius Murray to run alongside him. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of other things you can blame. Just weird losses along the way, too. Uh, the number one that sticks out in your head is the 16-3 game where if Mark Ingram doesn't step out of bounds, they beat the Bucks on Monday Night Football, and then they might win that division. Uh, and, yeah, since then they've won their last three, and I think they're going to whip up on the Panthers this weekend, too, because that defense is very strong. They have weird, like, wins, though. Like they shut out the Raiders. Yeah, didn't let them cross midfield until the fourth quarter. Yeah, they held the Bengals and like they had the they held the Bengals to a one score game, and like kept pace with them. And this mm-hmm. wasn't like a broken Bengals team. This was like the Bengals had started to figure themselves out. Uh, they nearly hung forty on the Seahawks. Like, yeah, this is a weird, weird team, dude. It is. What? I just don't get what happened. I, you'd be hard pressed for me to find a good explanation either. It's a, it's a team that didn't know who its quarterback was going to be and lost its head coach at a weird time and just hasn't really made a lot of sense since then. But uh, I, I certainly, I'm buying some Saints stock for 2023. When we did our NFC uh, preview pod uh, with the great Tosh Myers, I was the least in on the Saints out of the three of us. And I feel corroborated in that just because I felt like, you know, you can't keep putting off the cap hell every year. You don't have a, you know, true franchise quarterback, like all this stuff comes to roost at some point, but now I'm weirdly optimistic about them next year. I guess we'll see what they end up being. See, I've flipped on the other side. Like you lose your first round, like you lose your first round pick. True. Uh, Cap boogeyman still lurking around. You're not going to be able to pick up new pieces and you've definitely got some stuff to address. Like, you've got certain guys locked in long-term. Like, you've got, I think Landry's a multi-year deal. Uh, I don't know Thomas's status, and I I think they can probably restructure. I mean, like, who knows if he's even going to play. But I think you can, like, work around that contract stuff because you've basically paid him for free for, like, two and a half years now or something. Um, but, like, you've got a lave on a cheap deal. You've just got to figure some stuff out. Like, Dalton feels like a guy who could play replacement level, but, like, how long do you want to stick with Dalton? They have so many questions to answer, and I feel he's, like they've got a – the replacement level quarterback, Kale. That's that's what he was born to do. I know that, but, like, even in a league now where, like, replacement level quarterbacks are crushing, I feel like you can find a cheaper option, but, like, do you want to go down the search hole again? Like, there's so many questions that New Orleans has to answer for me this offseason for me to even consider – uh, respecting, I think like the Panthers are on a m- bigger upward trend than the Saints are, and I'd make a case for Atlanta. Like New Orleans is in such a weird position for me, where they've got like Honey Badger, Cam Jordan, like they've got awesome pieces on this defense, and they've got awesome pieces on this offense. Marcus Davenport, Demario Davis, like M- uh, Marcus May too. I loved him watching him with Jets last year. Like, this team should be way better, and they've got awesome pieces, and I don't trust them to figure it out right now. 
Well said. And not just that, they they are, according to FO Metrics, underperforming uh, more so than any other team in the division. And according to those same metrics, should have won this division. Uh, they're at 7.9 estimated wins, while Tampa's at 7.3. So it just breaks went weird this year. Didn't didn't get there. And uh, now they just got to try and finish strong. Special teams. It was a, again, very noteworthy special teams week where we had two easy game balls to hand out. Uh, let's switch up the order. You go first. Uh, it's got to be, for me, Keyshawn Nixon of the Green Bay Packers. He, he's been awesome, man. Uh, getting to the point where it's making me reconsider, like, how you approach kick returns. Uh, currently on the year, he leads all players in total kick return yards. He ha- averages... 30 yards of kick return, which is going to be a few shy of being like one of the first to ever do it minimum 20, uh, 20 returns. Last week had a 90 something yard reception or uh, kick return against the Miami Dolphins. This past week gets his first touchdown, 103 yards. Jackson, this is a guy who did not return kicks consistently until week eight. And he has dominated the league since. I got to pull up the official stat on like where he stands historically as a returner, minimum 20 returns. And I'll get back to you while, uh, while you sort of comment on it. But it is like he is a special, special t- kick returner. And between what we've seen with him and Kenny Wongwu this year and with uh, Devin Hester knocking on the door of the Hall of Fame as a finalist, I'm genuinely looking to like spend some time in the off season, like thinking about the value of kick returns and Cordell Patterson breaking the touchdown record for kick yeah. returns. Don't forget that one. That uh, as well. The stat that I know I saw was that uh, whatever 30 point, whatever yards he was averaging for kick returns is uh, more than all, but one Devin Hester season. So Devin Hester did beat him once, but think about how many years Devin Hester was the most dominant kick returner in the league for, this Keyshawn Nixon season's right up there with the best of Devin Hester. Uh, just really impressive. And also impressive because it comes for the Packers, who were the special team's joke of the league this time last year and mm-hmm. lost out on, on a playoff uh, that could have made it to the NFC Championship last year had their special teams not been so bad. And now here they are with the best kick returner in the league. Also had Amari Rogers like the worst punt returner of all time this year, uh, who ended up getting cut and got cut from another team, if I'm not mistaken, since then. Currently, as he stands, Keyshawn Nixon ranks 14th, sorry, tied for 13th uh, among, sorry, tied for 13th in yards per return among kick returners with minimum 30 returns in a season. And he's 2.4 yards shy of setting the or tying Cordero Patterson's record, who did 32.4 yards per return on 43 returns in 2013. Patterson also holds second place, 31.8 yards per return in 2015 on 32 returns. 
Yeah, Those were two of his it. three first seasons in the league. What a freaking monster. Yeah, he needs more credit. We talk about Devin Hester all the time. Cordero Patterson, more involved in a, in a regular offense than Devin Hester. And the highlight reel isn't quite so, like, jarring in terms of just, like, the bursts of speed and the, the dances at the goal line because there's nobody within two feet of him. But, uh, yeah, Patterson's been unreal for a really long time. What was also unreal <laughs> – excuse moi What was also unreal – was Buccaneers punter Jake Camarda saving the Buccaneers season and winning them the division. I can't emphasize this enough. I said before this game that I liked the Panthers and I thought that it could easily come down to a special teams mishap against the Bucs or a big special teams play in Carolina's favor because Carolina was top 10 in special teams, DVOA, Bucs were 30th, abysmal all year long. In this exact situation, up six, ball at midfield, punting with a minute left in the game, I was like, oh, man, this could be the moment that I had anticipated all week long. And then I immediately see the snap go in the dirt. I was like, oh, my God, it happened. But what does Jake Camarda do? Saves the day, rolls left, and kicks it with his right foot inside the 10-yard line. Um, Still haven't figured out how he did that. They had to redo the punt because there was a penalty on Tampa, but that saved their saved their bacon essentially that kept it from being an utter disaster that ball could be you know fumble recovered tackled out of bounds fumble could stay in bounds and they could return it for a touchdown there's about 15 things that can go wrong there and he has to somehow escape really fast nfl athletes and kick it with the foot facing the inside of the field like hip hip mobility out the wazoo uh and yeah that was, that was one of the more impressive plays you'll see all season by anybody. The more underrated part to me, Jackson, is the fact that because he got the punt off, there was a penalty that wiped it off. Because he got the punt off and didn't get tackled or go out of bounds, like you said, it forces Carolina to accept the penalty mm-hmm. instead of decline it, where like the down would be over, they, you know... While he had to do a second punt, which was also still like a very good punt. Yep. Like he say, like getting that punt off, even in the abstract, like saved their high a ton. Like yeah. ah, perfect. It, also it, uses more time. Like should have been regardless of where they were taking the ball, they had to run another punt's worth of play off of what was already a one minute game clock. So double trouble. Huge, huge. Listen, you don't expect many athletic things out of a punter. That was awesome. Also awesome were some of the uniforms on display this weekend. I mean to tell you that I came into the week knowing that there would be some good uniform games. I came into the week knowing SF Las Vegas would be very good. I came into the week with some high hopes for some like night games, Monday night, Sunday night. It was all going to be very special, but when I turned on the 425 window and saw Packers Vikings in Lambeau Field, oh, that got my eyes jarred. And there was a cinematic shot of Keyshawn Nixon's kick return where you can like see 
the entire backdrop of Lambeau Field at the moment of the kickoff with the thousands of fans and the Jumbotron and everything. And then the Skycam follows him up the field as he's making the return. Uh, green and gold, purple and white, perfect color juxtaposition. Um, once a year, I think this happens for me, where a Vikings game with the purple popping against a perfect contrast from the opponents just hits. Uh, and this one was so easy. It was like right up there for uniform game of the year for me, even if those aren't like the Vikings are like my 10th favorite uniform overall, but sometimes purple is just the perfect balance against whoever they're playing against. That was it. Yeah. They just really work well. Like when it fits, it fits. And I think having like the comp, like the unified color of the yellow, between the shared color of the Mm -hmm. yellow between them uh, makes it pop that much more. Uh, It was good that it wasn't like, you know, they had the trim yellow, but the Packers are wearing the yellow helmets, the yellow pants. So like yellow is the second most dominant color. If yellow was the second most dominant color in the Vikings uniforms, don't think it would work as well, but they've got purple helmets, white Jersey, purple pants. So there is still that little smack of yellow in there, but it's, it's got like a real, it felt like it could be in a children's book, like purple and white versus green and gold, just like really simple. Yeah. Super, super complimentary. It was awesome. Uh, Jackson, you're going to love me, but I'm going to hate myself. I'm going <laughs> to be super boring and go uh, San Francisco, Las Vegas. Uh, just absolutely gorgeous. Watching Auburn's finest sling the rock. Uh, you know, it's fine. Oh, my God. It's <laughs> it was a really, really pretty uniform game. I think my like if I was going to do like a Kale's like works mentally for me, but like probably doesn't for anyone else. You lean the Battle of LA, but like the shades of blue are a little too off. So it was just like, I wish this worked better, you know? What can you do? Gotta gotta go with the right answer sometimes instead of the contrarian answer. It's funny how that works out. It's not contrarian. (laughs) I like, sorry. Now, here's what I did want to say. That game belonged outdoors. Uh, It did. Didn't didn't like it in the dimly lit, uh, domed environment of Las Vegas. Uh, Definitely belonged. Honestly, it it needed a baseball diamond in the middle of it is what I was wishing for. Because both of those teams were historically baseball diamond teams, especially uh, Oakland when they were still Oakland, like the most recent baseball diamond team. So missed that a little bit. Needed some sunlight to really play. Some pops on those metallics. Yeah, you need silver and gold with sunlight. It's the only like it's the only team that goes hard into metallic colors. Like the Saints are obviously gold in their uniforms, but it doesn't have doesn't have the same emphasis as like the Niners gold or the Raiders silver. It's not as like prominent in the uniform set. That game should always be played outdoors. Doing it under LED white lights is criminal. Agreed. Thank you. And also criminal that this used to be the two Bay Area teams right next to each other, Bay Bridge rivalry, and now it's South Bay, Santa Clara, hour and a half south of San Francisco versus Vegas. The Bay Area has been criminalized in the football world. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. We've come to that point in the week, Kel. Is it time already? It always there always comes a time when you have to uh grab your cup of tea, put your slippers on, get comfy, 
and get ready to talk about the Washington Commanders and head scratchers. It comes around so frequently, and yet it always has to be done. Uh, and this week's no different. And you know, the responsibility falls upon me, and you know, it's it's gotta it's gotta happen. So boy, oh boy, the cherry on top of what was truly an incredible Washington Commanders season. Uh, and by cherry, I mean like 16 layers of shit flavored cherry because first off early in the week shit shit flavored cherry i'm sorry i'm sorry to that was a delayed reaction delayed reaction by you would have been more helpful if you had laughed right away but it needed some processing it was (laughs) weird line i in it's it's 1204 a.m and uh i've had like a lot of ibuprofen in my system for the last week fighting off residual sore throat. So I'm just going to blame it on that. Wouldn't have it any other way. Regardless, it all starts early in the week. We know that the Washington commanders have been embroiled in scandal all year long. They've messed up a Sean Taylor tribute for the second year in a row. They've had quarterback controversies. They've decided to go back to Carson Wentz now with their season on the line. Uh, And everything seems to be going south. But it's announced early in the week that now is just the perfect time for Washington to roll out its new mascot, Major Tony the Hog. Now, this is not a hog, Kale. This is a pink, smiley-faced piggy. Not even a pig. This is a piggy. This is like what you see in in a three-year-old rated uh, illustration book. But not only is that ridiculous, what's more ridiculous is immediately after the announcement that this unveiling is going to proceed, uh, the members of the original Hogs O-line, franchise icons of the Washington football something, (laughs) the Washington football entity, um, have decided that they are not being compensated for the use of their moniker and their... um, what is essentially their trademark uh, that they have filed for. uh, And therefore they will have no choice, but to sue according to their attorney, if Washington trots out a hog mascot, but what do they do? Kale major Tutty comes right on out. uh, And we're going to get into some of the more darker side of the end of the commander season in a moment, because obviously things went very wrong, but I would like to bring some levity to this head scratcher Bring back an an old favorite of ours, a Tuesday morning reading, uh, and teach you and teach all of our listeners a little something about Major Tutty. Here it goes. This is from the mascot fact sheet in the press release handed out by the Washington Commanders this weekend. Quote, Major Tutty is a muscular 6'5", 230-pound male hog with exaggerated features. Easy, boy that are anatomically similar to the animal, including a large belly, snout, and cloven hooves. Key elements of Major Tutty's personality include being a prankster, a mud roller, the life of the party, a protector, and a foodie. Major Tutty's silly, playful, and charismatic personality traits and mannerisms were crafted with kids in mind. When interacting with players, Major Tutty works to be a standout teammate. He might be giving out water bottles, joining a huddle and acting like a bodyguard to the quarterbacks and running backs. Major Tutty's hard hat is in the style of commander's military hard hats worn in active duty. 
The helmet comes in two colors, burgundy and silver, which he will alternate in between. So we've seen burgundy helmet, Major Tutty. Silver, silver helmet, Major Tutty might be a different beast. We don't know yet. Maybe he might actually win some football games too. That's the one that commits war crimes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, you don't want to see that Major Tutty in a dark alley, let me tell you. That'd Jackson, we, uh, we, need to, we need to pause this. By discussing that we were just we were just going back and forth the entire time. First off, you broke to me live uh, the personality traits mm-hmm. of Major Tutty, and like I couldn't handle prankster and foodie as <laughs> two of them. Uh, good golly, I can't believe like a marketing agency got paid to do this. Like it, this is who. I don't know. Someone got hired to do this, and it blows my mind uh, that people got money for it. I got, I got two. We're not done, by the way, with the fact sheet. I got two more. Um, no one, of which, one of which you know, and one of which you don't. Um, Major Tutty's chosen number, double zero, on the back of the uniform is a visual reference to the outline of a hog snout. Really, just didn't need to know that. <laughs> and finally, hailing from Upper Marlboro. Boar in bolds on the fact sheet, Maryland. Major Tutty has a lifelong love for all things DMV, including go-go music and mambo sauce wings. I've heard of mambo sauce. I, I, that one is spoiled for me because I know uh, it's like a regional sauce thing. I forget what it's made of, but there was a guy, like a TikTok thread that was like covering like regional food variants you've never heard of but are popular in like one specific place <laughs> so mumbo it's sauce specific, all right mumbo sauce does not throw as big of a wrench for me as i hope as i think you hoped for uh just jackson uh just do me the do me the uh favor of pretending like you haven't heard this joke before but the first <laughs> thing that i sent to jackson uh via twitter dms when he starts talking to me about Major Tutty, is I said, you know the trope in military movies where a soldier goes to deliver the news of his fallen friend's death to their now widowed wife? And when the wife answers the door, the presence of that soldier alone is enough to cause her to burst into tears without any words exchanged because she knows her husband is dead. I keep picturing that scene, except the fallen soldiers and Mr. Tutty. (laughs) (laughs) Big journey, a 21 gun salute. <laughs> Six five, 230 pound hog prankster. And it's all normal except on the casket, there's the framed photo of a giant pink smiling big face. In a helmet. Yeah. The, hel- the helmet's the best part. It's so good. There's like the New York Islanders hockey team has a dragon as their mascot for no reason, and his name is Sparky. It's it's literally right here. It rules. This is the coolest thing ever because it's so dumb. Uh, Major Tutty now takes the cake for just dumb mascot. No, I. It, this is an audio podcast. Still, we're we're still working on video, folks. But I want a stuffed Major Tutty on the shelf behind me for our future live streams and for this production and any other. I want. Major Tutty behind me at all times when I do this. Makes me feel safe. If he was introduced pre-Christmas, 
you would have one from me right now. Yeah, <laughs> and that's why I love you, bud, because <laughs> I know you'd be the guy to get it for me. And I, uh, my birthday is in less than a month. I'll just throw that out there. We'll do that <laughs> Anyway, to close the loop on the head scratcher, not only did Washington lose to the six and nine Cleveland Browns and blow any chance at making the playoffs, not only did Carson Wentz return to the starting lineup to throw three interceptions and average less than three yards per pass attempt in the first half, but then after the game, Ron Rivera basically admitted that he didn't realize that they could be eliminated from the playoffs that day. That was not good. Nothing that happened aside from... Me knowing that Major Tutty was something I could count on in my life moving forward. Aside from that, nothing good happened to the Washington Commanders this weekend. The, the worst part, okay. We defended the Carson Wentz decision originally mm-hmm. as like, yeah, like he's got the higher ceiling. If Heineke is going to play risky, you might as well go back to the guy who can like do more for you. And it just didn't work. Uh, in the case of Wentz, uh, three interception game, uh, abs- like one of Wentz's worst performances in a long time. Uh, and he's had a couple this year. Uh, but I don't know. It Nothing looked worse than Ron Rivera, like kind of pausing. He's like, we could, we could be eliminated. Yeah. Uh, yeah you could. It, it, I don't know. It throw it throws me for such a loop because he's like, such an awesome coach, and he's probably going to get fired this year, uh, and they're probably going to go a new direction, build a new team, but, like, how could you because he's a good guy? But, like, I don't know. You get to a point in the NFL season where you don't think guys will be checked out, but they kind of do. Uh, Ron Rivera looks checked out. Like, Ron Rivera looks like, I know I'm losing this job uh, at some point. I'll work somewhere else and be better off. But right now, let's just get through these next two weeks so I can cash a check. And being a part of that franchise will do that to you, I think. It'll wear you down when every <laughs> story about your team week in and week out has nothing to do with football. It has to do with your owner blackmailing people and you know tampering with evidence and uh, witness intimidation and cooking books to uh, upset the NFL. Like All these things are just a weekly occurrence there, and I can see how that would uh, put some extra years on you if you have to do it for more than one. So RIP Washington season, uh, another one where they've already clinched uh, most dysfunctional franchise in the TMB awards before we even start. I think we might just have to rename uh, the award to the Washington Commanders Dysfunctional Team Award and then give it to someone else. Yeah, technically they lost it last year, so they unique Texans won. The Texans won, but uh, Dan Snyder won the Irie Harris Bozo of the Year award. Um, I think that one we can give to someone other than Dan Snyder, and we can put the Commanders back in the running for Most Dysfunctional Franchise of the Year award. How Urban Meyer lost that award uh, baffles me. (laughs) Uh Listen, there were good options. No, it was a it wasn't. You got some up and down years. That was a stacked year. That was a stacked year. That's like 2019 for the Oscars. I agree. Well done to Dan last year. And to the he put put together a strong case this year as well. Hard pivot to whatever your head scratcher is going to be. And I haven't seen it yet. So I'm interested to hear what you might be throwing my way. Listen, it's not always a great read for head scratchers. Jackson got the most prominent one. 
Uh, and also, when you're five days removed from NFL action, it's tougher to pick a head scratch. Uh, so mine uh, ultimately comes from a winning team in the game, but just offers me more questions. Uh, comes from Patriots Dolphins. Uh, ultimately, doesn't this is from uh, Mike Reese, uh, ESPN Patriots beat reporter. Uh, this ultimately didn't hurt the Patriots, but one to file away for Belichick's offseason autopsy on offense. The Dolphins tried to hurry a 12th defender off the field. Uh, this is third and goal from the one and a half yard line, four minutes left. New England's only up two. They end up winning the game by more. Dolphins are trying to hurry the 12th, a 12th defender off the field to avoid a too many man penalty. Tyquan Thornton, uncovered, because his man is running off the field, sticks his arm straight up like he's Moss in press coverage in hopes of getting the ball. There's two options. They run the play, have a wide-open man for a touchdown, or they run the play, somehow mess it up, and still get a too many men to give him half a distance to the goal. I think a reset of downs as well. Uh Belichick calls a timeout. Like, the worst possible option. You help Miami stop her clock and give them more time. You bail them out of a too-many-men penalty. You rob yourself of a free touchdown. You give them an opportunity to reset coverage and actually put a man on Tyquan Thornton. Uh, About as disastrous as you could uh, manage a game. And I think, uh, listen, it's a legitimate – not not miracle, but like much deserving performance for like let's call it like coordinator of the year. Like if Belichick was like if head coaches got credit for owning that side of the ball, uh posting a third best defensive DVOA in the league with like two day two slash three rookie corners, uh like Jalen Mills as your lead cornerback. It's a safety heavy leg group. You got two edge rushers. You're fully transitioning at linebacker. You're betting a lot on a bunch of first and second year guys. Like Belichick deserves all the praise in the world for this defense. How poorly this offense is played, how big this offense has let the team down, and just how many questionable decisions Belichick has made as like a game operator and head coach is mind boggling to me. Uh, And it, really makes me question, like, you know, they'll never allow him to just coach the defense. Like, he's going to always want to be head coach and GM and, like, have this totalitarian control that he's sort of always had over the New England Patriots. But, like, you might really have to go out of the box for this offense next time around. Like, Belichick is screwing up some pretty textbook stuff that he used to be so good at. Yeah, you're absolutely right about everything you've just said. But can I come in over the top and one-up your head scratcher? Because the very next play coming out of the timeout, the Patriots come in in 22 personnel. That means two running backs, two tight ends, but still one receiver on the field. The Dolphins come out in a 5-4-2 grouping with no cornerbacks and don't line anyone up on Jacoby Myers, and they throw it right to him for a touchdown. What? Huh? Head scratchers all around. <laughs> what? Yeah. Listen, with that heavy of personnel and how run heavy New England is, I get the formation, but you got to throw someone on the guy. Nobody there. 
who's led the Patriots in receptions for the last three seasons. Yeah. And, you know, one yard line, one yard is not far to throw the ball if there's nobody standing right in front of you. Mac almost messed it up. He, like, kind of overthrew it when he probably probably should have thrown it over the older shoulder over the other shoulder to where nobody was standing but i mean come on dolphins yeah i was gonna say people serious call, franchise or not nah? people call mac jones noodle arm like what happens mm-hmm. now he's overthrowing receivers on a one yard route God, <laughs> what a what a weird i think there was an additional report uh that dolphins might clean house after losing potentially six straight if they lose to the jets uh, oh my God, that would be a horrible decision because yeah. this was just already such a shaky team to begin with. They have never, they've never won or lost just one game. <laughs> they have a three-game win streak, a three-game losing streak, a five-game win streak, a five-game losing streak. Yeah, and I will point out as well that obviously there's no world in which this could happen, but. If there were some perfect world where you could have like Brian Flores and Mike McDaniel as co-head coaches of this team, Flores running the defense and McDaniel running the offense, it'd be untouchable. But last year their offense was a failure and this year their defense was a failure. Like they just can't, they can't have nice things all at once. The Miami Dolphins. Not having Byron Jones is tough, but like, I don't know. And, and it's impressive. They've gotten like, you know, a good performance out of like a UDFA rookie and Cater Kohu. But like you trade, but if you're leaning Red- on UDFA's to help, you know, anchor your defense, something. Yeah, maybe. but he's given he's only given that opportunity by injuries, and he shines in those opportunities. But like you've got you've invested picks on picks in the linebacker core every single year, and you've hit on a guy in Jalen Phillips. You then trade for Bradley Chubb. You've got all these awesome, like you've got Emmanuel Ogbert in there. You've got all these awesome pieces. You've got uh, Xavier Howard at corner. You've got uh, another really good uh, cornerback there whose name always freaking escapes me. Uh, I am supposed to cover this team, and his name always escapes me. Uh, do you have it? I, I will yeah, if you keep vamping for long I'm, enough. <laughs> no, I've, I've got it. I've got it. It's I don't know. You just have so many pieces on this team, and it just it's so weird how. Uh, are you not uh, thinking of no Igbenagine? I'm not thinking of no Igbenagine. Well, you said cornerback, so I'm right, technically. I, I said safety. Oh, I thought you said cornerback. I said safety, Javon Holland. Right. Uh, you know, because I was talking about Xavier Howard. We transitioned. We transitioned from cornerback to, sa- uh, cornerback to safety. This is but, good podcasting. Oh, it's great. It's awesome. Other, should, and, yeah, uh, no, and commenting on it makes it Semantics even and, yeah, good. Uh no, you have so many awesome, awesome pieces on this defense. I forgot Melvin Ingram's on this team. And and you just fall apart. Like, how do you consistently allow, like, 30-plus points a game, it feels like? Uh, you haven't been able to hold a team under 20 most of the season. And you've got a really dynamic offense. Actually, n- once you, you held the New England Patriots to seven points and you have the Bills to 19 points in, like, a heat stroke week three. And you have the Steelers. 500 total yards on 19 points. Yeah, but, like, that is a – like, how do you – like, one of the worst defenses in football from a scoring perspective, how do you have that many pieces and keep screwing up? 
The world may never know. They can't, again, they cannot balance both units at once. It just won't happen. Also a bad special teams team. So you build this explosive, awesome offense and nothing else works. It's, I, I really, I think Miami fans are starting to feel like they're cursed. Uh, I'm not going to put you in Chargers or Vikings territory yet. We'll see how both those teams do in the playoffs this year, but you're knocking on the door a little bit. Not in Falcons territory yet either, but I'll I'll start considering your your case for the cursed franchise award. Jackson, I think I know we do like season end awards and stuff, and we do some you know cool things. I think we might need to just do like an autopsy episode. Like whether it's like something we do in between wild uh like next week and wildcard weekend, or if we just do it at the end of the season. Like we've got to look at some of these playoff teams and just figure out like what happened because there are going to be a lot of good teams just missing the playoffs, and yet somehow like Mike Tomlin Steelers are still playoff viable. Not against it, not against it one bit. Let us transition to some talk about the week we're about to have, and before we even get into any of that, the news comes down from the league today that. Unsurprisingly, the actual contest between Buffalo and Cincinnati will not be concluded, and therefore there are a number of scenarios in play for if uh, results don't work themselves out, essentially, uh, for the top seeds in the AFC. Both teams, of course, are impacted. Uh, And just to run through some of those before we dive into thoughts and predictions, uh, the main things that are important to note are that if the participating teams in the AFC championship game uh, played an unequal number of games and both could have been the number one seed if all games had been played, uh, there will be a neutral site for the AFC championship game. So that could be Buffalo, Kansas City, or it could even be um, Cincinnati versus Kansas City. Buffalo and Can- Buffalo and Cincinnati can't have that scenario, but they're There are neutral site AFC championship games in play. There's also a coin flip in play. If Baltimore defeats Cincinnati this week, Cincinnati wins the AFC North because they will have a better win percentage, but because Baltimore will have beaten them twice and Cincinnati didn't get to play out their Buffalo game, if those two teams are supposed to meet in the first round, there will be a coin flip to decide who hosts that game. Never heard of anything like it. Unprecedented times, of course. But, I mean, the main factor in all this is, man, like, you obviously did the right thing and there's no perfect solution, but there's a lot of things not working out in Cincinnati's favor here. Yeah, they get the short end of the stick, and weirdly, a lot of this are ineligible for the one seed, which they would have been had they beaten the Buffalo Bills. And the thing is, it makes sense because they – we're still alive for the one seed, but we're the had the lowest odds and needed the most things to break right for them. So it makes sense that they're the ones who are getting those chances taken away from them when they had the lowest odds to begin with. But it still does stink because technically you still had a chance. But they also like as a consolation prize, just sort of like, oh yeah, hey, you uh, you guys are. Uh, back-to-back AFC North champions for the first time in a long time. Yeah, fly the banner. It may mean nothing if you have to go to Baltimore the following week, but hey, just take care of Baltimore this week, and then what's it to you? Yeah, exactly. Don't have to worry about it at all. 
And I say the same thing to uh, a Jacksonville team complaining about their scheduling gaffe that we'll get to a little bit later. Uh, the NFL just mangled this schedule for absolutely no reason this week. Well, aside from TV ratings, which are we the know the reason. reason. We know exactly the reason. Yeah, we discussed it on Wednesday. But um, yes, they Jacksonville gets a little bit screwed as well because they're playing on shorter rest uh, and they played all their players last week while Tennessee rested theirs and now they're being punished for it essentially. So there are teams with legitimate gripes this week, even though everyone still has destiny right in front of them. I get the logic of the punishment aspect of what you're saying. Uh, it's it's going to be a true rest versus rust uh, test here. Uh, but I also think it makes it slightly more even because they're playing Josh Dobbs, at quarterback, who, yeah. by the way, had the best passing DVOA by a Tennessee Titan in like a month and a half. Uh, I think since uh, Tennessee played the Bears. Uh, like just really. Bears? I don't remember that game. I thought it was Chicago. Maybe it was. Maybe I'm <laughs> misremembering and thinking uh, like Cincinnati. I just remember a C. Uh, it was like week twelve or thirteen. Uh, but it has like, to be Cincinnati, yeah, because Cincinnati was, was Cincinnati. Like a losing streak started. Before that game, Tennessee was seven and three, and we were like, "Oh my God, Brian or uh, Brian Dable, Mike Vrabel, Coach of the Year again." Uh, all that, all that talk. Haven't won a game since. Yeah. What a slide for him. I I don't really get it. Uh, I, I, I guess because it's a defensive-led team and they've got an anomaly at running back that can stay competitive. Uh, I've got them covering this week because I think the rest of Janage will help them, but I still think Jacksonville just wins the game. Uh, if you guys are if you guys are betting folk at home, uh I'd pick up just about any Jaguar that doesn't play running back. Uh, like Lawrence popped off the last time this team played the Titans uh, in one of his best games of the year by offensive passing. I think by far his best game by offensive passing DVOA, north of 90% DVOA. Uh, Zay Jones went for... I think 70 and a touchdown. Evan Engram had three touchdowns in this game. Uh, you can basically pick anyone that isn't Travis Etienne, who is, while playing really awesome in the last two weeks, will not be able to run against his Tennessee front. Let him air it out. It's a top five rush defense, a bottom five pass defense. Let Lawrence and the boys air it out. Uh, I think Jacksonville wins but I think they struggle a little bit defensively and Tennessee keeps it close because Josh Dobbs put up a good performance for the Tennessee Titans on eight days notice and now had an extra like 10 to learn the playbook. Oh no, it's going to be really interesting. Jacksonville, by the way, also like a decent rush defense and an abominable passing defense. So that's going to be weird. Like how does Tennessee choose to try and attack them? Do they just do the, we feed the ball to Derrick Henry a thousand times and pray approach that they usually do, or do they get a little spunky and let Josh Dobbs air it out a little bit, having had a couple decent moments in the past game? I don't know, but it's going to be really interesting to watch. Um, again, as we said, this should have been the Sunday night game. There's just no excusable reason for it not to be the Sunday night game uh, because Green Bay, or Green Bay, Detroit could be. 
by the time it starts, Detroit could have nothing to play for. But at the same time, excited to watch this in a primetime window on Saturday night. And a few seconds ago, it looked like Kale had some sort of massive realization. So rather than conclude my point fully, I'm just going to let you air it out. Uh, no, it was just that I was pouring myself a glass of water, thought I muted, uh, and the mic didn't mute. So I had to mash the mute button until I saw a red button. I thought I was on the Mac and sorry, you might hear a little, uh, sloshing of a gallon jug of lemon water hitting a oversized, like 32 ounce Moscow mule mug. Yeah. Well, hope none of our listeners are, uh, holding in a piss at the moment. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, they're doing that while driving. You'll be home soon. Don't worry. You can also just piss outside. That's so soothing. It's okay. <laughs> so, uh, so soothing. All right. So we kind of stepped on Tennessee Jacksonville first, but I'm fine with that. Uh, let's touch on some of the other AFC games that matter this week. Um, New England not only controls its own destiny after all the madness they've been through the past few weeks, but they also can get in with a loss if everything else breaks their way, if Jacksonville, Pittsburgh, and Miami all lose as well. Uh, But obviously the primary path is to win this Buffalo game, and I'm not seeing that. I'm really not. If if Twitter photos are any indication, and I check out Buffalo's, uh, you know, just Twitter account today, and they're taking pictures and smiling and holding up threes, and they're doing this for DeMar Hamlin, and they're vastly better than the Patriots, and they've beaten them three straight times by a combined thousand points. Uh, not feeling too good about this game for the Pats. Yeah, they are straight up the Washington Generals. Like, they they are the Washington Generals to Buffalo's Harlem Globetrotters. They are going to get absolutely steamrolled. Also, Does Jacksonville need to lose for them to get in? Because doesn't Jacksonville get in in a loss and they actually need to win? Oh, yeah, I think you got that. Yeah, I got that backwards. So, yeah, Jacksonville needs to win or else they would be – Take the Patriots spot, yeah. the So, I could see, you know, a Miami Dolphins, Skylar Thompson team losing uh, to a New York Jets team that now, by the way, might not have Mike White. Uh, because he was healthy and now all of a sudden limited. Uh, I could also see that Pittsburgh team losing. I just – there's no way the New England Patriots win. Uh, I I just don't see it. I thought – I honestly thought they'd go more the Doomer route and be like, we've just got to, like, get through this. Like, it's been a tough week, whatever. Let's, like – rest our guys, make sure we're all okay for the playoffs. Like, I thought they might go the other route no matter what happened. And then the news about Hamlin uh, broke today where the first thing he does is write about who won the football game. Uh, The photos out of practice, like seeing Trey White and Josh Allen, who were truly like broken humans in a, a, a such a vulnerable moment broadcast in national television. Uh, to now see them like arm in arm smiling, New England's toast, dude. Yeah, and Josh Allen's giving pressers where he's saying like that's the guy Demar is. Uh, you know, cares about the team first, do anything for the team. Uh, he's forgiving, not only forgiving but imploring people to not uh, pile on T Higgins or give him any blame for the situation. Like this team, uh, you know, we had a few days there where we weren't sure 
if the football landscape would fully continue as normal. Uh, and I think today, uh, as much as we, you know, continue to hope that DeMar Hamlin makes rapid improvement, I think today pretty much proved that it's going to continue uh, and guys are still going to be full bore this weekend. And then, yeah, the Bills are going to kick the Patriots' ass. It's not going to be fair. Now, fun. I, how, like, I don't know. Buffalo is in such a unique position. Like, you always think about teams that step up uh, in times of tragedy, the one that most likely comes to our mind is uh, the 2013 Red Sox post-Boston Marathon bombing becoming uh, one of the best MLB teams of all time offensively. Uh, this Buffalo team has been through, like the city of Buffalo and the Buffalo Bills at large have been through uh, tragedy after tragedy. Uh and this one is like the one that has come by far the closest and has gotten by far the most national attention uh, outside of the uh, supermarket shooting in Buffalo, uh, which is like also the food desert, like gets into a lot more things. Uh, but like this team feels so storybook driven at this point. It was already, they were already considered the Super Bowl winners at this point. This team feels so deeply motivated to win and it feels like such a communal energy is coming from the city of Buffalo rallying around this team that I like, listen, if we weren't in the business of focusing on analytics and outcomes and things like that, I would just ride the pure anecdotal energy coming out of Buffalo. Like team of destiny does not begin to describe my feelings about the Buffalo bills. I, I can't believe what this team has gone through. And the fact that it's happened to one of the most explosive offenses in the league and one of the most aggressive defenses in the league uh, couldn't happen to a more likable and more dangerous football team. I agree. And yet, there's still Kansas City. There's still still the boogeyman, and they still might well have to go to Kansas. Well, I mean, not, not if they beat the Patriots. So yeah, There's, that's not off the table. going to be weird to have that game in Indianapolis or wherever it ends up being. Yeah, there's actually no way where they go to Kansas City. The only way they uh, – yeah, there's no possible way because the Bills can go no lower than the three seed. So I guess, like, even in the worst circumstance – they'd only be able to meet in the AFC championship because it would be like a one versus three seeding. Or I guess, no, two versus three. It can happen in the divisional round of Cincinnati, like, has this weird thing where, like, everything collapses. Cincinnati wins. Oh, no, Cincinnati can't. I'm talking myself in a loop. You really no are. Let me play. just clarify this for everyone. Uh, Kansas City can be the one seed and host Buffalo if and only if Kansas City wins this week and Buffalo loses. And other than that, uh, Cincinnati can't get the one seed, uh, and there's very few other scenarios that result in an AFC championship game being played at a team's home site. Well, even if uh, Kansas City wins, Buffalo loses, wouldn't they still be 1-2 unless Cincinnati wins? So even then, they wouldn't be able to meet until the AFC championship anyway? Yeah. I don't think it's happening in the divisional round. It can't. It can't at all. Yeah, exactly. It's... One of them has to put it this way. One of the two has to be the one seed. Kansas City or uh, Cincinnati can no longer be the one seed. 
either Buffalo or Kansas City will be. Uh, Buffalo can get it and host, I think, too. I, I, I guess uh, there is a scenario. No, no, they can't. Sorry. Yeah, we can't host okay. Kansas City in the AFC Championship game. Can't happen. There is, guys. If you think we're confused, I don't understand how this works. Like this is this is one of the most topsy turvy uh, NFL schedules I've ever seen. Yeah. Like it's this this schedule is really this schedule change is really throwing us for a loop. Bottom line, the buy matters. So obviously, teams care who gets the one seed. Kansas City's in the driver's seat for the one seed if they win their game, uh, and that will clinch them the buy. But if they lose and Buffalo wins, Buffalo can get the one seed. However, if that were to happen, Buffalo would not get to host Kansas City because they could have lost uh, to Cincinnati in that other game, which would render other things weird. So bottom line, we're probably going to have a Buffalo-Kansas City neutral site AFC championship game unless Cincinnati steps up and beats one of them. Yes. Moving on <laughs> to prognostications. Of some of these games, we talked about New England getting their dicks kicked in. It's going to happen. Any chance at all Jarrett Sidham beats the Chiefs? Any? Uh, Yeah, I think so. In a weird way. I I do not. I get get why you don't. (laughs) Uh, And you're very reasonable not to. (laughs) However, we've talked about... uh, the element on the show of like backup quarterbacks playing seemingly better than they ever have before. And everyone gets into like a single outburst game. And as you noted on one place, we talked, I think the news show Wednesday. Uh, yes. Wednesday on the news show. It's easier for these guys to do it the first time. It's harder for these guys to do it the second time. That being said, the competition goes way down for Las Vegas. They go from taking on by far the best defense in the league to a pretty poor one, especially from the pass perspective and especially without Legarius Sneed in the fold. Uh, it'd be tough, but I think Jared Stidham can potentially repeat a incredible performance. Yeah, I just I, I don't think it's happening. I think that more so than anything, this team – technically entered last week with their playoff hopes still a little bit alive uh, and still kind of riding the emotional high of the most ridiculous Patriots win ever. I know they had another game in between, but uh, I think that loss was a last gasp and I don't really think they show up this week. So even more so beyond me not trusting Jarrett Sidham to do it two weeks in a row, it's like, I don't think he's, I don't think he's bringing the rest of the team with him uh, to the game in order to actually have a chance to beat the Chiefs. Uh, I mean, Devontae Adams spoke pretty highly of him in that press conference. And Devontae Adams apparently seems committed to, like, really wanting to stay in Las Vegas. So maybe they do a little swan song. Who knows? Did see that. Did think that was encouraging. Um, and certainly, I just thought there were a lot of, like, fluky plays, too, in that Niners game. Like, Jared Sidham breaking the pocket and running for first downs on third and long heaving it up to Devontae Adams, who makes the circus catch of all circus catches to go in and tie the game. Like That's just the kind of guy he is, Jackson. That's Auburn's finest. That's Jared Stidham. Have you ever seen that picture of him? Oh, on that's who you're talking about. I thought you were going to say that's who Devontae Adams is. That no, makes sense. I'm talking Jared Stidham. I'm talking Jared freaking Stidham. Escaping on third and longs. Airing it out. 
chaos plays Jackson. Have you seen that picture of the throne on him in the Patriots uniform wearing number four? For some reason, that was a photo op that the New England Patriots decided to do with Jared Stidham on a freaking throne. Uh, that's a the throne? kind of guy. You, you, have you never seen the, this photo? No, but what did the throne represent? He's the king, bro. Of what? I don't. You don't want to the answer to. There's supposed to be a metaphor to a throne. Like I've seen, you know, it, it even makes sense if you're like a D3 college team doing photo ops on a throne. If you won your conference last year or if somebody like won the batting title in your league. But Jared Sidham, what throne did he earn? I think it I think it was supposed to be something about like the heir apparent to Tom Brady That's just or something. Funny. But Ew. like what a what a photo to just exist. No one, no one else in the Patriots organization has anything close to that photo. And it's just Jared Stidham leaning back, foot on the Patriots helmet, holding a golden football, sitting in like a Buckingham Palace replica throne. Good for him. Good for him. Uh, He's going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. It's a passing of the torch moment, really, Jackson. You're delusional. (laughs) Um, Baltimore, Cincinnati, got anything on that one? Uh, we haven't heard Lamar Jackson's name in over a month. He hasn't yeah, shown it's weird, he hasn't oh. shown up to practice once, uh, in this stretch. Uh, it's getting really concerning about what's going to happen during playoffs. Uh, no matter what, they pretty much play, uh, Cincinnati, or can they fall to six if they lose? No, they are six. That's the point. They are six right now. Thank yeah. you. So in order to avoid six, they need a win and a Chargers loss, or else yeah. they're playing Cincinnati most likely. Which, you know, I'm fine with. You know, get them twice. Let's see. Uh, but I another, again, another huge advantage for Baltimore, where like Cincinnati likely wins that game, Baltimore sticks in the sixth spot, and then next week you see the same Bengals team, but – Baltimore's hypothetically bringing back Lamar for this game. So, again, we need to make sure that Lamar is still playing football. But if he is, big advantage. Still in the state of Maryland, even. Yeah. I don't know. It's probably probably a Cincinnati win. Uh, uh, Baltimore's another team that deserves an autopsy. Uh, They are are a weird, weird team. I know they're good, obviously, but, like, just never being in, uh, able to invest in the passing attack, constantly having running backs hurt. Another weird, weird team. Well, not just uh, that, but yeah. all those horrific late-blown leads, really four games that they should have won easily. They had a cupcake schedule this year and could absolutely be the one seed in the AFC right now, and yet that did not happen. Did not happen indeed, and I think it's because – uh, they have no come from behind ability because they're so reliant on run. I don't know. I've got to watch that season. I want to like, but they weren't. They didn't need to come from behind ability. They just needed don't yeah, they just turn winning. it over and collapse in the fourth quarter ability. That's what they and did. it's and it's weird because they have such a good secondary. Like <laughs> they, you know, teams shouldn't be able to throw on them late, and yet they constantly do, and they constantly come back against them. I don't know. I think Kansas. I think Kansas City. I think Cincinnati wins. I think Cincinnati wins next week too, unless Lamar has like an FU pay me game uh, where he just puts on a show. Well, you're really discounting the potential for 
Pro Bowl alternate Tyler Huntley to come in and, and win this game. I really don't think you should be disrespecting my king like that. Jackson, I can only have so much respect for backup quarterbacks. <laughs> it is it is sick. Uh, I, I find this fascinating, like finding backup quarterbacks to fit certain offenses and who ends up where. Uh, I find it fat like it's so cool that the Baltimore Ravens just found like uh like B minus Lamar Jackson uh to just run their offense. It's super cool to me. Uh it's like a rare, rare thing where it's not just like, hey, like you're you're a guy at the throw football. Come on, come on, sit behind our guy. Yeah, uh, I mean no, he, just B minus like- B minus Lamar as a runner, like D minus Lamar as a thrower, just to I, be clear. Oh no yeah, I get it, but like the fact that you know, I still think about like last year's Packers game where he took them to a one score game uh, in a Lamar Jackson absence. And that was with a slightly better receiving core, I guess. But like, he's not that bad. It's just a weak, like, it's a cool thing that they were able to just find an exact guy to fit their offense sitting behind a quarterback who so uniquely fits their offense already. Yeah. I almost think it would be just as cool the other way. If, say, Tyler Huntley went to go back up Jared Goff in Detroit and Jared Goff gets hurt and he's the epitome of a pocket passer, <laughs> and all of a sudden they're running this breakneck chaos quarterback rushing offense that uh, Ben Johnson cooked up in his spare time, like that would be just as effective, I think, if you just had the curveball of like, oh, our starter's out, well, we're just going to change up everything on you. It's imp- It would be impossible to implement because of like, Oh, yeah, you got to learn a second playbook now. Learning <laughs> our language, but it's twice the plays. The Huntley package. Everybody's got to know it now. I think it's, I think that would be really cool. And like, you know, Campbell already sets the edge by like doing a bunch of stuff on fourth down and like throwing a bunch of chaos curveballs in there. Just having a second, a second hidden offense, that rules. I want to see it. How about we wrap things up? with discussion of the seven seed in the NFC. I mean, why did the NFL do this? Like, why did the NFL put Green Bay? I, I mean, again, we know why they did it. Cheddar cheese. Money, 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 money. Um, money But it's just, we have to continue lamenting it because it, it sucks that if Seattle beats the Rams, which maybe they won't, but they're the better team, then Detroit will have found out at like 745 that their season is over only to lace them up and kick off at 820. Like I'm not questioning Dan Campbell's ability to motivate his team for a game like that, but it's just inherently not the same. Your emotions are going to be all over the place knowing that you just spent, you know, six, seven months starting with OTAs building towards having this, you know, successful football season and, it's now no longer viable, even though you still got one more game to play. Like that just can't happen in such quick succession. And it shouldn't be possible. Like the NFL should have bylaws that say if two games are so heavily interconnected for the playoffs in the final week of the regular season, then they have to be played at the same time. Like there is no world where this should be allowed. Getting into like what interconnected means to the NFL, like it, it feels like catch rule shit where they'd find ways around it anyway. And it like wouldn't actually resolve anything. But I do agree that just like he gets, he gets screwed. Like I still think playoff birth depends on the result of another game in the NFL that week. 
those games have to be played in the same time window. Find me a loophole in that. Like that is so simple. Yeah, but what if there's like, like, what if we had a much deeper playoffs like we could have? Like, you know, there could be multiple games, and you got to pick and choose. And then right, like, play them all at the same time. That's the point. Stuck with like they've a done that in the past. They, what is what is weird is they've played weeks before or week eighteen before where they just didn't have a Sunday night game because it was just like, yeah, none of these really mean anything. Uh, we can't really pin a game here. Uh, most of the seeds have decided we just won't run a Sunday night game. Like they've done that before, but I think they're obviously trying to get like ad dollars around. Obviously, I don't know. Yeah, uh, I would have loved to have wow. seen Jacksonville, Tennessee primetime, uh, Sunday night football, but like, you know, who didn't want to see that is NBC. I know. I, I Trevor Lawrence is a year away from actually being a household name, uh, in terms of like skill level and watchability, but I feel like the division would just be enough of a selling point, but it's such a bad division and it's, you know, two of the smallest 10 media markets in the NFL. I'm kind of saying that just guessing, but that's really what it is though. Cause they've had no problem in the past putting like seven and eight Washington versus six and nine New York for the NFC East division title on Sunday night football to end the regular season. They've never had a problem with that. Dude, they chose washed Aaron Rodgers. Just because it's Aaron Rodgers. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like that big of a windfall. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on either of the games? Because I think no matter what, this is a like, I, I'm so deeply convinced that you, like, regardless of playoff standing come game time, that Detroit is going to roll Green Bay. Green Bay's had a really good defense. But so is Detroit, and I think Detroit's offense is just that freaking good. I think it really doesn't matter, and this team is going to be that motivated to end their like to end a really big turnaround season on such a high note that they're just going to roll. I love that. I I did not see that coming from you. I thought we were both on the same page about this game. I I would love to see Detroit do that. I feel like they will come out guns blazing one way or another. I just think by the end of the night. I can just kind of feel the emotion in Lambeau taking over and, you know, maybe Detroit's up by 11 in the second quarter, but then one play breaks Green Bay's way and they get a long touchdown and that place is going crazy. Uh, And I just, I feel like the Packers win a close game and kind of pull away at the end. That's like my just unfortunate gut feeling about this game is that uh, the juice runs out a little bit for Detroit against the uh, the playoff experience team that, while he is a slightly washed version of Aaron Rodgers, still has Aaron Rodgers at the quarterback position. I know that. I know that. And I watched. They can really run the ball, too. The Packers really can run the ball. But, like, Miami was really able to shut – like, Packers, uh, Packers-Dolphins was the last game I, like, really intently watched because it was – in any given Sunday game, and I didn't really care about Packers-Vikings because by the time I actually turned it on, the game was over. But, like, Miami really swallowed up Green Bay's rushing attack, uh, held them, like, to a combined three yards a game, uh, three yards an attempt. Uh, They've, the last two weeks, I know last week against the Minnesota Vikings is a little bit better. They've gotten so many crazy breaks 
go their way. This team is like not that offensively adept. Like the passing attack against that Dolphins team, that is like a pretty bad secondary. He threw one really good ball to Alan Lazard on the sidelines and one really good ball to Mercedes Lewis, like right here in only a place where he could catch it with a guy draped on him. They've gotten super lucky. They've gotten really good field positioning off of turnovers. Keyshawn Nixon is a huge help to this team, getting them like once a position just in the window for them, like like taking the ball 90 yards in back-to-back games to get the score from around, right? But like in terms of the actual passing attack, like it's really weak and it's been pretty weak for the last few weeks. It took you the worst passing defense in the league to develop any sort of competency as like a genuine offense. The rest of the season, especially in the last few weeks, it's been kind of trash. I hear you. It's a really, really interesting game. Uh, Like if you just kind of look at where these teams are in like, you know, matchups, where, where's the Detroit offensive pass DVOA versus the Green Bay rush DVOA. There's somewhere it's like strength versus strength. There's somewhere it's strength versus weakness. And I'm really interested to see how it plays out. Like Detroit's pass offense is fifth, but Green Bay's pass defense is 10th. Detroit's run offense is 15th, which is okay, but not as good. But the Packers rush defense is 31st. So is Detroit just going to run all over them? Then you go to the other side. Packers are third in rush offense, and Detroit is 27th in rush defense. So is that strength versus weakness just going to win out? I don't know, but I just feel like with all these numbers and formulas in play and even, like, storylines between both teams, I'm just worried that, like, Sunday night football in Lambeau is going to be the deciding factor. Can I sell you on why I think the Seattle Seahawks will lose? Well, I – to be clear, in the staff picks, I also put that uh, Seattle is going to lose. So I I can see it happening. I think – and I don't know. Maybe it's just the point in the season where, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm buried in a lot of work and I haven't been doing a lot of, like, independent research looking up trends or whatever where I feel like I'm kind of just going a lot on feel at this point. The loss of Jordan Brooks is huge. We've talked about this already. Team's leading tackler, tackle machine, uh, has something like 250 tackles combined the last two seasons and was third in the league this year. Losing him is huge. It takes away a big part of the middle of your field. You're now starting a linebacker who almost exclusively played special teams up until last week. Uh, I think he's a UDFA guy too, or maybe he's not. Uh, Maybe he's a day three guy, but he's like not a very prominent player. Uh, On top of that, Los Angeles Rams have, like, a surprising amount of guys who've got, like, a game left in the tank. Like, like a team that is highly motivated to win. There's guys like Bobby Wagner and Jalen Ramsey who are, like, locked up long-term. Like they'll be checked out, but they'll still, like, play. But then you have, because this team is so deeply injury-riddled and just down to their last guy, you have a lot of guys who either got late starts or got opportunities that they never would have gotten elsewhere and are getting like 50 game reps. Like that is tape you can send your agent. That is like stuff to fuel your next contract. Worst case, you're stat padding. Best case, you're getting yourself a second opportunity in this league. 
it starts with Baker Mayfield and Cam Akers. Like Akers having this fantastic like last three weeks, just all of a sudden deciding to play football, and he's had something like I think it's like 250 yards and five touchdowns the last few weeks. Something nuts. Baker Mayfield, like, you know, now on his third team in a year, like calendar year at least, uh, it seemingly was almost out of a job after his stint in Carolina. I think we're now figuring out there's a bit of Matt Rule in that. Hmm. But, like, now you're getting your real shine. You had, like, one big game under bright lights on Thursday night football against the Raiders, that crazy comeback. Now you're motivated to like actually knock a division rival out of the playoffs and give yourself one last bit of tape, one last opportunity to prove yourself, one last chance to basically like audition for a job in 2023. Like this team, I think is like, I could, I could have this game totally wrong because Vegas has it as like minus six Seattle. But, like, I feel like this is, like, the Rams are going to come in hot. I see it. I see it for them. I do. Um, My case for why this can happen, in addition to the one that you've just laid out, every year, or not every year, but, like, most years. The last few. Most years. A team that has a chance to win their game in week 17, week 18, whatever the last week of the regular season is, just doesn't show up. We saw it last year with the Colts against the awful Jaguars. We saw it a couple years ago. This is a different case, but Miami could have beaten Buffalo to make it into the playoffs, and instead they got beat by like 55 points. Uh, or most famously, there's the Ravens could have made the playoffs if they didn't lose to Andy Dalton. And that allowed Buffalo to get in for the first time in 20 years, whatever it was. And everyone in Buffalo loves Andy Dalton until the end of time because of it. So it seems like it happens most years that a team that can make the playoffs with a win if things break their way uh, and is playing either a bad team or something, something could go their way. Uh, they just don't show up. And I'm worried that's going to be Seattle this week. I thought you were also going to mention, wasn't the, uh, was a little Ryan Fitzpatrick game against the New England Patriots a week, uh, a last week game? Yes, but that didn't have playoffs on the line. But yes, the Patriots yeah. oh, could have had a uh, first round bye if they had beaten Ryan Fitzpatrick yeah. and didn't show up. And that was kind of the end of the 2019 Patriots. And Not I agree. Like, that's the same thing. That team had a lot to play for in week 17 and just didn't show up. And Ryan Fitzpatrick beat him. Ryan yeah. Fitzpatrick's. Coming full circle here, Ryan Fitzpatrick's Jets also lost a Week 17 game that was a win in uh, in 2015, I believe it was. Uh, so there you go. On both sides of it, so he cannot fall into this category. Uh, but, like, I feel like a big theme of it is usually, like, some poor quarterback play, especially in the case of Wentz last year. And uh, for my own uh, heart, I refuse to put Geno Smith and Carson Wentz in the same sentence. <laughs> uh, I I still think like the Rams are a highly motivated team; they'll be willing to play. But like, uh, it's getting tough for me to like justify Seattle as a playoff team. Even you know, ten weeks removed from me saying like, "Oh yeah, there's a path where uh, Seattle has the like incredible value as a Super Bowl pick." <laughs> uh, listen. I stand by, like, I stand by. You can be wrong sometimes. You learn from failure. 
but I'll t- I'll eat the crow because I know Jackson likes to poke fun at me for that one. The dude, this is like this team does not look capable of handling things, and like DK Metcalf's been a little slow as of late uh, in terms of like his actual production has been doing much, but like. I don't know. There's just something about this Rams team. I feel like they're motivated to get there. Your uh, your precious Seattle Seahawks, Kale. Um, My precious Detroit Lions. Putting everything I I listen. Flings come and go, <laughs> but there is nothing more true than my love for Dan Campbell, as has been illustrated on this podcast since he got a dang job. So I'm just fighting for my fighting kneecap biters, but. Your Seattle Seahawks. Yes. 0-4 against the NFC South. An impressive, impressive <laughs> run. How do you lose to all four teams in that godforsaken division? You had one of the easiest schedules in football this year, and you would be sitting in just a perfect position to make the playoffs right now if you could have just beaten one of the teams in the NFC South. The Saints, the Saints had two opportunities to play the rest of the AFC South and save week 18 against the Panthers. They could only pick up a win against the Atlanta Falcons. Like, even the Saints did better than you guys. What are you doing? Yeah. How did, like, that Panthers game in Seattle where they just ran it down their throats was a tough one. I, I don't know how anyone lost to Atlanta this year, uh, except the David Blau Cardinals. I figured that one out. But other than that, I don't know how anyone lost to Atlanta. Uh, they got bullied in Germany by Tom Brady and the Bucks in one of the only games where the Bucks looked like the Bucks we expected them to be. And then, yeah, Saints just ran roughshod all over them. Weird, weird little scheduling anecdote for the Seahawks, who, uh, you know, by extension are eight and four otherwise against good competition. Jackson. This is one of the weirdest, like, I I understand there's, like, been a lot going on. Is this one of the weirdest seasons in recent memory? Like, just like just from an on-field product, it has to be, right? Like, the, like the quarterback play in a transition year for, like, the pendulum swinging back toward defensive production. Uh, like, a bunch of teams kind of, like, breaking the barrier of, like, from bad to good. Well, mm-hmm. up few teams kind of turning out fraudulent like i oh you know the purdy stuff the like geno smith resurrection like i this team this season like i i i've only just come up with it in like this pod but like the more i think about it like the more we need to have like a deep discussion about what happened this year (laughs) like we need to figure out what went on and like piece it all together like we're true detectives What's funny is it's so much weirder than both of the seasons that were impacted in any way by COVID. Like there were weird one week scenarios in the COVID season where games were getting moved around, but those playoffs made sense. Last year's playoffs made sense and they, you know, COVID didn't impact last season very much, but OTAs got bumped back and stuff. This year was supposed to be like the total return to normalcy. And instead it was like, Oh, this year's on shrooms. How fun. And the weirdest part is, is like the top end of like our projections and the bottom end of our projections for that matter have like mostly kept track. We've had a couple people, like a couple teams not live up to expectations. But like, How about the Denver offense? Was that projected to be the worst in the league? 
Well, like Seattle was also projected to be a bottom three team. We're talking about them in the same breath of playoffs. But I'm saying, like, for the most part, like, the top end, we knew, like, Buffalo, Kansas City were going to be dominant. Like, we figured, like, Cincinnati would do something. Like, we figured out, like, the top three in the AFC. And then the NFC, like, shots is very high on the Eagles. We knew the Cowboys were going to be good. We knew San Francisco was going to be good. But we didn't expect the Rams to drop out. We knew the Vikings were going to be competitive. Like, and on the bottom end, like, we knew Houston was bad. We knew Chicago was bad. And, like, we knew the NFC South was pretty bad. Uh, bad enough to, like, at least compete for top ten picks. But, like, everything else in the middle is a mess. It is indeed. I, I don't know what to make of the year. I think we've uh, pretty firmly established that. And maybe we never will. But uh, we're going to keep talking about it. And the show is going to go on. Uh, last little snappy segment to close the show. Not, not like we don't have ticket prices to talk about this week, and we can delve into that as well. But before like we do, before we do any of that, let me just get your one one sentence answers on. Uh, first off, who's going to get the seven seed in the AFC? New England has the best odds. And it will be my personal hell. I think Pittsburgh's going to get it. It's absurd, but I think it's going to happen. I think that's the funniest outcome. I really do. I think it would be the best and funniest outcome. And I'm rooting for it. It's going to happen. Yeah, I kind of am too. Like, Kenny Pickett's been improving. We didn't really talk about Pittsburgh at all this podcast, so I'll just pump their tires. Like, you know, back to back. Weeks where the defense pretty much stands on its head the entire game, and then Kenny Pickett in the fourth quarter lives up to the moment. And I like to see a team that improves as the year goes on instead of barely treads water in the case of the Pats or falls apart in the case of the Dolphins, uh, and they have the easiest matchup. So I'm going to predict that the Steelers get in somehow. What a difference maker T.J. Watt makes, by the way. (laughs) Like, just a force multiplier. Uh I they flash the graphic. They're like seven and one. Uh, they're seven and one with him, like one and six without him. A lot of which is also schedule related, but I agree. Yeah, fair. But I mean, it. I think the funniest outcome of this year is Pittsburgh sneaking into the playoffs in a in a year where so many AFC teams like either looked competent, yeah, or like. It like look confident, fell apart, confident. or just fell off outright. Yeah, <laughs> Pittsburgh is it's Pittsburgh supposed to be is a forever. rebuilding year. Yeah, just yeah. can't can't get rid of them. Uh, okay, NFC seven seed. Who's getting it? I said it, man. My kneecap biters. I think I think it. the line. I think the Lions have it break their way. Uh, because I, I think they're winning that. I really think they're winning that game no matter what. And I just feel like we're getting a weird. We're going to get a weird Rams-Seahawks game. The Seahawks have never played a normal game, hmm. and I think that stands true this week. What about you? I do think that the Seahawks are going to lose that game. We've talked, we we collectively have talked me into it, um, but I think that Green Bay beats Detroit, and I think Green Bay gets it. So there you have it. Uh, let's close up the show with some good old-fashioned ticket price analysis. Kale, tell me. What's caught your eye here moving into uh, our final day? Let's kick it off. Let's let's kick it off the low end because we're getting to the point where we'll only be able to do high end prices for so for you know 
It'll be playoff games. It'll be really expensive to go to. $9, New Orleans, Carolina, or $11, Colts, Texans. I think it's an obvious answer. I'm going to Colts, Texans. You're a psycho. You're you're lying to me to get a bad response out of me. I don't believe you for a second. Kale, what do I like? What do I care really about Andy Dalton versus Sam Darnold? Like that game is just it's a, a good football game. game. We I just talked about like how weirdly good the Saints are and but how like, actually good so the Panthers have been. That's a a bad good football game. Like it's it's bad teams that will probably be competitive. This Texans Colts game. Is a, a good bad really football bad. game yeah. because I'm so curious because both of these teams have every incentive to lose. Both of these teams should lose this game in the Texans' case to both lock up the number one pick and screw the Colts over to get a worse draft pick, and the Colts to improve their pick and to try and take away the one pick from the Texans. So I'm so curious to just see like who shows up, who tries, what plays get run. Who most obviously tanks? Like, that is actually interesting to me, and I would enjoy seeing it for $11. I I couldn't name you one Texans receiver right now that's currently active. And I know, like, we've brought them up before. Amari Rodgers. I know I said he got cut. He didn't get cut. I was thinking of someone else. Amari Rodgers is very much Texans receiver. No, Amari Rodgers got cut by the Packers. Yeah, like and now that's he's from the Texans. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, I know. That's what you were matches. referring to. No, you were referring to that. He did get cut and he got picked up. Yeah, no, uh, I, I said I said I thought he got cut again. He didn't. That was uh, uh yeah, dude. Philip Dorset is on the Texans. Mm-hmm. He was crazy. the answer in NFL Weddle one day, and I didn't get it. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh Patriots legend, right? He played for the Patriots. Oh, yeah. Uh, he won a Super Bowl. He, he made a touchdown catch in Kansas City right before halftime that helped them win that game. He did win the Super Bowl. Jackson, let's go to the expensive end. All right. I think we I like Detroit Green Bay is an obvious answer. But let's pretend like we can't go to the obvious game. Are you spending $112 on Giants Eagles, or are you spending $110 to watch Patriots Buffalo? Yeah, that's not close either. I don't like the Giants aren't playing anybody this week, and I have no idea why that game is as expensive as it is. Probably just because the Eagles because in Philadelphia are hosting, and they are the ones who you know can win and get the one seed. That's just going to be a, like an Eagles fun time party, which sounds fun. Not don't get me wrong, like Philly's Philly's the spot to be when the sports teams are good. Uh, but for like actual drama, like first of all, just being in the building. Uh, for whatever the Bills end up doing for DeMar Hamlin would be surreal. Uh, and I also think that that's just the slightly more in, slightly more enticing football game, even though I, again, think it's probably going to be a boat race. At least there's, like, history there. You know, history between the Giants and Eagles is whatever. But, like, that, no backups playing for New England this week. Every backup playing for the Giants this week. Are, we, are they confirmed not playing anybody? I, I, it's not confirmed, but why should they? I don't get it. Like that would be because a silly, I think they can, like they can. I don't think Dable play cares about like. I think he cares about sending a message. Honestly, and I think knocking the Eagles out of that uh, one spot uh, is sending a message because if with a loss like they put San Francisco in, like I think there's absolutely reason 
for the New York Giants to try in week 18 just out of spite almost. Secondarily, like Saquon Barkley's been worn down all year long, and now you have the perfect opportunity to rest him, and you're not gonna just to send a message, even though you're locked. No, but I, like I think away. I I think they play like Jones though. Like I think they play like their full receiving core, and I think they like try against the Eagles. I don't think they're just running like inside zone for sixty minutes to run out the clock. Yeah, I mean they might try. We'll see with Daniel Jones if he plays. I don't think they like let him run as much just because there's an inherent injury risk that comes with that. So I, I think that they will have a neutered game plan, whether or not Brian Dable wants to admit it. And I think it would be in their best interest to just rest everybody. That being said, Jackson, Eagles giants games have some, uh, some history too. Like no, it's, I, it's, I didn't mean history, history, just like, no, I know that these like, players on these teams, like what history do Jalen hurts and Daniel Jones have against each other? Me, I I can't get I can't get Metal Land Miracles out of my mind. I can't get that. That happened like 15 years ago. I still watch that on YouTube. Uh, I feel like something just as weird is going to happen in this game that makes Philadelphia's playoff run a little wacky. Uh, because again, like I said, this team needs 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 the bye week if they have any hope of winning a Super Bowl. And I feel like the Giants are going to play spoiler in that. I don't know. I, I Maybe I'm just like in chaos mode for week 18 because I don't know how to read NFL games anymore. Uh, but like I like every underdog ever this week, even the ones that have clinched playoffs and don't have any reason to play. But I'm finding reasons. I'm glad. Let's get ourselves fully worked up. We have a great week of football coming. We are going to be certainly very busy uh, note-keeping for it. Uh, the two of us are uh, recording another show in less than 12 hours uh, and still have some prep to do for that. So we'll get to our prep. We will continue to bring the content all of your way and appreciate all of you following us along for the ride this week and appreciate you sticking with us through the delay. Kale, looking forward to closing out a phenomenal season with you. Let's go football. Let's go football, indeed. This has been just a real, like, pretty pivotal year for us as, like, covering the game and, like, creating content. Uh, it's, been, it's been cool riding with you, bud. We got I some more. can't believe how much time we've spent talking, and yet, like, you know, none of it's been in person. It's just all, like, us grinding from afar, Chasing, chasing the dream that neither of us really knows exactly what the dream looked like, but so many shows, that, so many hours, so much time put into it, and nobody else really knows how much time has been put into it but us, and that's what I think makes it cool. And the thing is, we could have put even more time in, but I think we've put in enough time. I think we've put in enough time for this podcast. Yeah, hey, this isn't <laughs> the end. Of, this isn't the end of our time. Not a long shot. This is the year, Jackson, that I think we finally like lean into off-season content. I think we got it in us. Ooh. I'm I'm with you on that. I think it's gonna happen. So uh, we'll we'll have an actual meeting about it where we're not talking to our listeners, and we'll figure it out. And maybe our listeners can let us know what they want to hear. How about that? Yes, sir. Wouldn't want Ooh. that any other way. Alrighty, let's get some sleep. For Kale, I am Jackson, and we will see you next Tuesday. Thank you. Thank you.